this is amazing. Did you watch the TV, the new superhero guy? How cool is that? He's got a cape. Yeah, capes rock. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Does anyone have any idea who this crusader is? Superhero never reveals his true identity. With no power comes no responsibility. Welcome to Now Playing's Marvel Misfits Retrospective Series. My God, it defies all the laws of nature. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Good call, baby doll. Join Stuart. God, I wish I had a son like you. Jacob. Everyone would definitely fuck his brains out if I got the chance. And Arnie. Where do they get a load of me? As they review the Marvel Misfits Howard the Duck... This is obviously no place for an intelligent, sensitive duck. Man-Thing. Oh, yeah, that's a man, all right, huh? It's a mad thing, man. And Kick-Ass. He should call himself Ass-Kick instead. <laughs> Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment in this series. And keep coming back as we continue looking at all the Marvel comic book movie adaptations. X-Men, Fantastic Four. You guys never saw One Night in Spider-Man? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and may have foul language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, you cunts. Let's see what you can do now. Today we're discussing Man Thing. <laughs> is, is, is this our, our Ron Jeremy retrospective? <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, I feel dirty just thinking about it. And coming on the heels of Howard the Duck. Starring... Matthew Linnevez, Rachel Taylor, Jack Thompson, and directed by Brett Leonard. This is Arnie, co-host thing of Now Playing. <laughs> Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob. And are we supposed to know any of those people's names you just read off? I know who Brett Leonard is, and Arnie does too. Oh, I don't yes, know. I, do I don't know. know if he remembers what he made, but you made me see it. I've seen many Brett Leonard films. I have seen The Lawnmower Man, the original one that Stephen King sued to have his name removed from. <laughs> yeah, the one that you made me go see, yes. I've seen Hideaway. Hideaway? Was that with the Clueless Girl? What's her name? Elisa Silverstone. Elisa yeah. Silverstone and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that's right. I've seen Virtuosity with Denzel and Russell Crowe. Oh, no! That's when he had to go around wearing around that embarrassing leather baseball cap. Remember that one? Yes. Yes, I do. I've seen it a couple times. <laughs> oh, man. Russell Crowe is like a composite of every serial killer ever made, as if that could work. And I've seen Billy Idol's Shock to the System music video. So, yeah, I'm familiar with Brett Leonard. So nothing good, uh, basically. No, no actually, you know, he actually made one film that I, in a pulpy way I did enjoy, and he made it with some of the people in this cast. It's called Feed, and if you really like Lionsgate, Saw, ugly, dark little movies, I'll let you go to discover it. But it's about subdom eating relationships. I did read the one-line description of that. It sounded odd. It's kind of amazing, actually. It's uh, For a pulpy B-movie, they actually hit it on the mark. And Rachel Taylor has gone on to be in other things. I don't know that any of the other actors or actresses have, but yes. Rachel Taylor, who was the hot 21-year-old school teacher, completely out of place in this entire movie, was in the original Transformers in a minor role, was in Shudder, and Ooh. has a bunch of other stuff coming out. 
Alex O'Loughlin, he was the second in command guy. He's actually on Hawaii Five O right now, and he was in a J Lo movie last year. Poor guy. So again, nothing good. <laughs> and the guy who played Schist, he he's worked quite a bit in. Well, he was in Attack of the Clones. He was also wherever I see his name. There's usually uh, the assassination of Richard Nixon is the movie they tie to him. Okay. That was a little Sean Penn movie that nobody really saw. And he's been in stuff I've heard of, like Leatherheads and something called Feed. Yes. (laughs) All right. I got to get to this right away before we even talk about the movie or a plot summary or anything. What in God's name (laughs) is a man thing? Because I thought he was Swamp Thing. He lives in a swamp. And then we got The Thing, who's also a Marvel character and a part of Fantastic Four. He's made out of rocks. What is the difference between a thing, a Swamp Thing, and a Man Thing? Please enlighten me, Jacob. <laughs> Stuart, first of all, Swamp Thing is DC, not Marvel. You uh, don't cross that, uh, you know. Save that for our DC Comics retrospective yes. series. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, made. but Swamp Thing, this is the very important difference. Swamp Thing is a, a scientist that turned into a swamp creature. And yes, I know that was retconned by Alan Moore. I'm not going to get into that. We'll save that for the Swamp Thing retrospective. Alan, Alan Moore, the guy that did from hell and all that Alan Moore yes yes he, he did an amazing run on Swamp Thing which is the only thing I read but again this is not the Swamp Thing I wish this was the Swamp Thing retrospective but it's not <laughs> Alan Moore is actually one that I know I read Watchmen I read his porno one with the girls and lost girls I, yeah V for Vendetta yeah I read all of those actually so even though I'm not a comics guy him I know so he created Swamp Thing he, he did not create Swamp Thing but he really has the most well-known run of Swamp Thing and he ah. kind of changed the origin story but both Swamp Thing and man thing were scientists that had accidents that turned them into these swamp creatures the the big importance here the big difference swamp thing louisiana man thing florida that that's pretty much for my <laughs> research that's the big difference no wow. and, okay all right and, and, and no there, i mean there are some more differences swamp thing could actually talk and think Whereas Man Thing, he was more of just this silent creature. He would, you know, if you had fear, he could intensify that fear and kill you with it. You know, he he had in his comic, "He who knows fear shall burn at the Man Thing's touch," which I often <laughs> tell dates. Uh, that's why. I- <laughs> yeah, again, this is not no. the Ron Jeremy story. But yes, but no, both both characters came about. About a month apart, um, Savage Tales number one, which had Man Thing, came out in May 71. Swamp Thing, which premiered in House of Secrets, came out in July 71. Okay, um, so who ripped off who? Who's Steve Jobs and who's Bill Gates? <laughs> well, they both ripped off The Heap, which I- I'm guessing from all my research. The Heap was a 1942 character about a German World War I uh, pilot shot down into a Polish swamp and with his last ounce of will to live, he's able to transfer his life force to the swamps of Poland and become this swamp thing, man thing type creature. And so that that's really, they were both riffing off of the heat, which came 30 years earlier. Hmm. I don't think the swamp of the swamps in Poland is having much heat, but all right. Well, they were also turning a German World War I pilot into a hero. Yeah, very strange all around. So briefly, Fantastic Four, the thing, has nothing to do with any of the swamp offshoots. They're not no, part that, of the that, same things. 
No, they're, they're not part of the same thing at all. One, the thing got his powers from cosmic forces in outer space. But Stan Lee had a part in creating both the thing and man thing. And that was one of the concerns with man thing is that they already had the thing. And why do they need another thing in the Marvel universe? But the forces that be went with man thing, which is just a really weird, I don't know, name for a creature. Maybe uh, in the 70s. Uh, I don't know. It was a more innocent time. Yes. They didn't have the dirty minds we did. We talked about this a little bit in the last show is Howard the Duck made his premiere in the Man-Thing comics. They kind of crossed over and that's where he made his introduction. And there is even a special when Howard got his first full storyline by himself, which was called the Giant Size Man-Thing special. Uh, uh, <laughs> even more perverse. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> That didn't mean as much to me back then when we recorded that show as it does now that I've actually seen the Man-Thing movie. I'm really wondering how Howard the Duck would fit into this world. Perhaps it didn't. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. It, it only lasted a few issues before he ended up in Cleveland. So. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps we should tell the less enlightened viewers what they're missing by not being up on their Man-Thing. You know. If they're not up on it, I'm right there with them. I mentioned last podcast, I'm a huge fan of the comic book movies. This one snuck up on me when I was starting to do research for, we're going to do Marvel movies. What do we need to do? Man-Thing. They made a movie about Man-Thing? And I was into comic book movies when this came out. This came out in 04, 05, depending on which country you're in. (laughs) And somehow it completely escaped my notice. It was, you know, released in the U.S. It was initially going to be a direct-to-video film. And then with Spider-Man and X-Men and all that happening in theaters, they decided, oh, we'll make it a theatrical film. So they spent $7.5 million, which I know isn't a whole lot for a movie. But it's a lot for Lionsgate and these people. It's a lot to put into this script. (laughs) So they spent $7.5 million, and then they saw it and uh, never released it in theaters in the States. It it did open at number one in the United Arab Emirates in October of <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yeah. You know, Artie, I was I don't think I was so much as shocked that there was a man thing movie, which surprised me, but what shocked me more is that how recent it was. I thought this would have been, you know, like Swamp Thing done in the seventies or eighties. The have it done in two thousand five. It's such a little known character. Uh the I've only read a few comics with Man Thing, and those are mostly the Howard the Duck ones. And I've read a few comics with Man Thing. Again, I recently read the Howard the Duck ones. Back when I was into Marvel comics in the early, early nineties, late eighties. He appeared in a few, and he was always one of those characters I just really didn't care about, but I'd buy all, like, the Secret Wars offshoots and Infinity Gauntlet, and every so often he'd show up, and I'd read, like, his bio in the handbook to the Marvel Universe, and I I just never got him. I never got why people liked him. I didn't like him. And so when I found they'd made a movie, I I was kind of shocked, but I gotta say, this was my first time watching the film. This may be the only film in the entire Marvel Comics retrospective series that we watch that I haven't seen before, with the exception of the new theatrical release of Avengers when we do a weekend of release. You, you've seen Elektra? I have. I'll oh, be watching it for a second time. <laughs> but I had a bad feeling about this one, because when I saw it premiered on Sci-Fi, that, that has a stigma for me, because I've been burned so many times in the past with movies that premiere on sci-fi. Wait, are you going in with expectations that movies on sci-fi are going to be good? I mean, how do you get burned? Because the only time I've ever seen parts of a sci-fi movie is when they make fun of them on the soup. I just know they're going to be bad films. 
Well, you see, on the soup, there there's like two casts of sci-fi films. There's the movies made by sci-fi, where sci-fi is funding the creation of this film. They're actively involved in its production. And these are films that never go over $2 million, usually closer to $1 million, and they're almost always filmed in Bulgaria. Like Sharktopus. Yes. <laughs> Lake Placid 2 and 3, Manticore, Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys, Frankenfish, Boa vs. Python, Firestarter 2. All of these were made by sci-fi. And that just carries a stink. You know it's going to be bad. I felt so bad for Bruce Campbell when I saw Terminal Invasion, and even worse when I saw Man with a Screaming Brain. And he signed, like, a five-picture deal with them. But it bought him a house, he said, so that's good for him. But then there's the movies that are made for actual release and can't get it. <laughs> and when they're desperately flailing, then they sell on the cheap to sci-fi to recoup some costs. And these are the ones that usually disappoint me the most. Beyond Reanimator, the third film in the Reanimator series. I knew that it was coming out on DVD like the Tuesday after its sci-fi premiere, and I held out hope that just because it's starting on sci-fi doesn't mean it sucks. It sucks. Robocop Prime Directives. I don't know whether to call this a series of movies or a mini-series. There's four two-hour movies that were made in Canada so that a company could hold on to the rights to RoboCop, and they couldn't find distribution in the U.S. Sci-Fi came in and made them a deal, and I watched these because it was the first, they said it was hardcore RoboCop going back to the movie RoboCop, the original one. I watched it, and every single installment was worse than the one before. If we ever do a RoboCop retrospective, we'll get to talk about that shit. They weren't as good as RoboCop 3, where he fights a samurai robot and has a jetpack? They were far worse. Far, far worse. They made the 80s, 90s RoboCop TV series look good. Ooh. Yes. I mean, sci-fi has a brand, much like Lifetime has a brand. When you hear of a movie being on Lifetime, you know it's going to involve an out-of-work TV actress trying to help her child with some disability. I think the epitome of it is Mansquito, starring Corin Nemec from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. <laughs> uh, yes. Sci you say sci-fi movie to me, and I think uh, an animal is attacking an unemployed action star. Like, that's what I think. Lorenzo <laughs> Lemus, or I don't know who, but I just feel like, you know, Eric Estrada might somehow turn up. They also do a ton of just ripoffs, like Aliens vs. Predator is coming out in theaters, so they do Alien vs. Hunter. Anaconda is a hit? Let's do Boa vs. Python. Got it. Sure. So how can you really be disappointed when you know that's what it is? It's There's always been a market for schlock, and these things used to be at the drive-in. Now they're on Sci-Fi Channel. I get it. I don't watch it, but I get it. Well, I, I have gone back to that well many times. Clive Barker's Saint Sinner. So many times something's premiered on Sci-Fi, and it's got a name attached to it that makes me hope for the best, and I'm always disappointed. So I went in with the, to this with the lowest of expectations. The absolute lowest. Okay. Well, that's a good place to start. Then get your shovel ready and start digging. <laughs> so here's the plot. Sheriff Kyle Williams has just arrived in the swampy Alabama, not Florida, town of Bywater on a mission to track down the man or thing responsible for the large number of locals that have gone missing. The young lawman quickly becomes embroiled in a political battle between the Schist Oil Company and a Native American tribe claiming they were cheated out of their land. Oil Baron Frederick Schist hopes that Sheriff Williams will help him quell the environmental protesters that disrupt his work, particularly renegade Indian saboteur Rene LaRoque. Because with a name like Rene LaRoque, of course he's Native American. <laughs> 
not French. Yeah, yeah, by way of Cajun, Alabama, something <laughs> or rather. With the aid of Comely school teacher Terry Richards and coroner Val Mayerick, Sheriff Williams stumbles upon a trail of corpses covered in inexplicable plant growth that lead him to unravel the real mystery of Bywater. He learns LaRoque was actually the one responsible for selling Schist the Indian's land, and that medicine man Ted Salas, another great Native American name, was <laughs> killed in the process. <laughs> Renee, ashamed of betraying his people and hoping to atone, has been hiding out in the swamp and sabotaging Schist's oil refinery ever since. The medicine man's body was secretly buried under a drill in the dark water, an area where the mangrove trees grow so close together the sun cannot penetrate. But the magic spirits of the swamp demand vengeance, and Salas is resurrected as Man-Thing, a towering plant monster with the ability to command all vegetation. <laughs> oh my god! I think that ear of corn I've been eating has just bit me. <laughs> Damn you, Man-Thing! <laughs> Those dandelions are dangerous. <laughs> I, didn't M. Night Shyamalan make a movie about that? <laughs> he, maybe oh. he was inspired by Man Thing. <laughs> I hope Man Thing and him work together very, very soon. <laughs> Man Thing kills anyone it comes into contact with, including several rubes hired by Schist to find LaRoque, a Scottish photographer who equates Man Thing to Loch Ness, and a bunch of horny young people, whether they're supposed to be teenage or early 20s, I can't tell, and even an innocent member of Ted Salas' former tribe. Renee is killed by Sheriff Williams during the climax of the film while rigging the dark water oil drill with explosives. Two-timing Frederick Schist tries to kill Sheriff Williams and girlfriend Terry to cover up all his crimes, but Man-Thing arrives and turns Schist into a human oil well. <laughs> the dynamite goes off, and Schist's drilling operation is destroyed, but Man-Thing is unharmed. But then Man-Thing melts back into the swamp, his mission complete, until it's time for a sequel thing. <laughs> oh, Man-Thing. <laughs> Oh, man, what a thing. Terrible. Can, can, can we just go to our recommends now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, this was a movie. It was 90 <laughs> minutes long, and it it moved at 24 frames per second. Very I'm good. I'm not sure about that. At some point, it seemed to move at a, a, a nice choppy 12 per second. But we'll get to that. <laughs> so. Yeah. I was actually, I went in with very low expectations, but I did have some expectations. I expected, given that this was a movie made in the 21st century, about <laughs> a Marvel Comics character, and it starts with that Marvel logo, right? The flipping right, comic book. You're right. That was a surprise. That yeah, was that like, shocked yeah. the hell out of me. That, I'm like, this is an official Marvel movie. Official. Wow. It did feel, uh, yeah, authentic. Authentically Marvel. I expected a story much like Fantastic Four and Iron Man and Spider-Man that would remain somewhat true to the comic. And perhaps I could walk out of this a little bit more knowledgeable about why people want Man-Thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge step back, right, for Marvel? <laughs> this is a giant leap back. Like, 
you know, Marvel, what, their first movie out of the gate is Howard the Duck. And since that time, they've actually managed to make some hits, right? I mean, X-Men and Spider-Man. Iron Man probably hasn't come out yet, but they're they're doing pretty good, right? And, like, this is, like, going back to when Spider-Man was on Electric Company and had, like, a (laughs) nylon pulled over his head. and was, like, helping people with their numbers. I mean, this is that bad. It is quite a shock. And what's what's surprising is if you watch the credits, you'd see a name, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. Uh, maybe one of you can help me. Of uh, Avi Arad. Yeah, that's the that's the head guy of Marvel, right? Yeah, uh, he is basically the Mustafa Akkad of Marvel films. Right, right, yeah. He, he's the one who helped usher Marvel out of the ghetto. While DC ruled theaters in the 80s and 90s, Marvel was stuck in legal limbo and really saw no way out. And it was Avi Arad and his work with some of the TV series, and he worked on some movies we're going to get to, Nick Fury, the TV movie, but it was with Blade that Marvel started to regain its footing, and he became very powerful with the Marvel multimedia adaptations. And so to see his name on here, and to know how strongly he's guided some of the other things, when you hear that Marvel didn't want John Malkovich playing the Vulture. It's likely Avi Arad who didn't want it. And they rebooted Spider-Man rather than having Avi back down. But he wanted this movie. <clears throat> Apparently. And that's what's shocking. He, he was against John Malkovich, but he's all for man thing. All I can think of is maybe he just wanted to go to Australia. Because the first thing I noticed about the movie is uh, these are very strange accents these Alabamans have. And they don't seem to be American accents. Is every single person in here an Aussie? I think they are. Yeah, this movie starts off and you see a bunch of kids at a party. Kids, you know, I don't know what their age they're supposed to be. They, they're definitely actors in their 20s. And they're definitely trying to sound Southern and failing miserably. Mm-hmm. And two of them, Billy and Sarah, run no, off. No, 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 get it right. Billy. <laughs> He's Billy. You got to do it with the Southern accent. Billy. Billy and Sarah run off in a canoe to to fuck. Yeah. And, and we get a titty shot right off the bat. I was impressed at how rapidly it came, really. And it was much, quick, much quicker than the duck tits and Howard the <laughs> yeah. Duck. But, but Stuart, you talked about how squeamish you were during like the bath house scene and Howard the Duck. These people were having sex in like an old boat in a swamp and their legs were like dangling in swamp water. Did that make you squirm? I mean, I thought that was worse than the bathhouse. That was just I know. And, nasty, and then they're like sex. confused about why these bodies are coming back with moss all over them. Well, I'm like, hey, you know, you copulate in a canoe in the dark water. Uh, something's <laughs> going to get stuck. But all of a sudden, I realized what movie we're watching, and it's not a superhero flick. And I I didn't expect that, because, I mean, sci-fi has made some superhero films, including a couple with Stan Lee's name on them. Uh, Stan Lee's, I think, at Lightspeed was one of them. There's a couple original heroes. Do I have to watch that? No, no, because Stan Lee left Marvel and started his own production company. Oh, thank God. That's all I care about. (laughs) (laughs) So all of a sudden, I realized we're in a horror film. Or it seems that way, and I, I, that came it hit me upside the head. And, that, and, I gotta say, right, I'm glad you bring that up. That is the overall impression, the overall weirdness I had watching this. I knew it was going to be low budget. I knew it was going to be bad and competent. All of these things, 
that none of that is a surprise. What is a surprise is I thought Marvel meant superhero. Is Man Thing not a heroic character? Does he not fight for some form of justice? Because this Man Thing is just a killer, right? Yeah. Honestly, I thought we were seeing the villain in this opening scene. Well, I guess we were, but I thought it would be what Man Thing would be fighting. Oh, interesting. I got to say, there's a long tradition of horror comics. And again, we talked about the comic codes before, comic code authority. That banned a lot of the, you know, horror comics were huge, like in the 30s and 40s. And then the comic code authority, they really banned a lot of that stuff. And in the 70s, you're talking about EC, right? Like the EC EC was, yeah, they they did tons of horror and crime suspense type comics were hugely popular. Like Creep Show was inspired by all of that. When Stephen King and George Romero made that Creep Show movie, it was a throwback to all those banned comics. Yeah, and and there's that long tradition, and in the 70s, they were able to, I mean, vampires were banned from comics in the 50s, werewolves, and all of that started coming back when it loosened up in the 70s, they were able to bring back. Even Count Chocula? I don't think Count Chocula ever had his own comic. Mm, Okay. (laughs) But no, I mean, so that didn't shock me too much that it was a horror movie. That's what I was expecting with Man-Thing, because that's how I've always associated with him. Even Swamp Thing is really, you know, considered a horror comic. Um, It's a little more super heroic than Man-Thing is. But I I wasn't too shocked by that. I I expected a horror movie. I didn't expect him to be a senseless killer, though. It didn't seem he had any mode to who he chose to kill. It was just anyone, because he's pissed off that, I don't know, the dark waters had got polluted with oil. And that's what shocked me, is that he just he's a random killer. Now, after watching this movie, I did read a couple of the Man-Thing comics, the ones that had Howard the Duck in it. And and we should say, Steve Gerber, who created Howard the Duck, also did a big run on Man-Thing, so... Yeah, it's most famous run, I do believe. People say that when he left, the series just sank to the depths of the swamp. But what I've read of Man-Thing and where I've seen him in other comics and things, I wouldn't equate him with horror so much as just weird. I mean, what you have is he is supposed to be the guardian of the nexus of realities. That's how Howard the Duck comes through, is it's where all like these parallel universes and things meet is in the swamp, and the Man-Thing is the guardian of that and must protect it from evil forces, and it does so just instinctively. But the stories are very rarely about the Man-Thing because he doesn't think or speak or anything. It's more about the people around him is what I saw. And he's more like a force of nature in it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, horror comics, I I guess it's a different connotation than horror movies. Uh, Maybe just weird is a good way to put it. Like you said, Arnie, just, uh, you know, all these weird creatures. But yeah, he would protect the nexus of reality, which whatever that is. Is that like the dark water? They even drop the nexus of reality in this movie, but they never say what it is. Just like, oh, it's the nexus of reality. Right, there's all this mumbo jo- jumbo in the prologue about when we were in the dark water, and and uh, you know I gotta say I being only one sixteenth Native American, I am still profoundly <laughs> insulted by the portrayal of the red man in this movie. I, I'm right it there is, with you. It is horrible that they must all be mystical. My favorite example of this is there's a guy named Pete. Another great Native American name. Pete. Pete, the the Native American guy who's in a diner. Everyone else is conducting themselves as you would in a restaurant, using silverware, you know, (laughs) eating, you know, using a napkin, wiping your face. What's he doing? He takes a salt shaker and is making, like, magical sand uh, images 
on the countertop and chanting and and uh, you know come on like in, in his defense i thought he was mentally challenged <laughs> <laughs> you're defending him is that right okay <laughs> i mean was he i think he was because they're like come and he's like i made hot tea how did you know we were coming it's good tea you know i i felt he was mentally handicapped i really did well, maybe I need to rewatch it with that in mind, but I I think not probably. I I just feel like yes, okay, we're go- we're going to have to see Native Americans through this vantage point in which everything they do is mystical and magical, and they are seen as nothing but victims who had land taken away from them. You know, there is some truth to that, but uh, you know, you want to see a more well-rounded character than that, and I just felt like. Oh boy, this is going to be a long one. And none of this is from the comic, from what I can tell on Wikipedia. This is all original to the movie. The Native Americans did not play into the Man-Thing's origin. Man-Thing was not a Native American. What they kept was the name Ted Salas, who was a scientist, much like Swamp Thing, who became the Man-Thing, and they, they kept that name, but made him... Every single person on this tribe, this nameless Native American tribe, seems to be a shaman or medicine man. They're all magical. Every Native American is magical. Just like every black man, you know, can tap dance and sing. Every Native American can talk to trees and the wind. It's just well, Ar- like- Arnie, man, things origins are somewhat even tied to Captain America, which makes this even more baffling. I mean, Ted Salas, the scientist in the comic, was trying to replicate the super soldier serum, which which created Captain America, and of course it all goes wrong and he becomes Man-Thing, but I mean, yeah, I don't expect them to bring in the whole Captain America mythology into this movie, but it's just kind of baffling where they decide to take it. They couldn't just have a scientist where this happens. It's it's the magical red man. Now, wait a minute. I, 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 do re- I do remember Swamp Thing well enough to remember it was like Louis Jordan or somebody was a scientist and that's how they got to be Swamp Thing, right? Yeah, yeah a chemical so, explosion and he merges with the swamp. So, man Man thing came about in the same exact way. Pretty much. More yeah. or less. Wow. Okay, so they had to change it. I don't blame them for that. They got to come up with something. I would have wished that it was something a little bit more progressive than the magical red man, but okay. <laughs> and we kind of see this in the very first scene is, again, I'm, I don't know what we're seeing. The very first scene before the credits roll, we, we have this terrible narration. Dark water where the mangrove trees grow, you know. And, and we're seeing a skull and spinal column rise from the swamp and like a something swirling around it. I'm like, is this the rising of the swamp thing? And then we're introduced to Kyle Williams, the sheriff. And I'm like, I, I think Kyle Williams is going to be the man thing. Because oh, interesting. How can we not have an origin story? Well, you are getting to, the, to one of my biggest beefs with the movie is that it is built on the whole idea of a man who was killed and comes back from the dead. We never see that man. They built this story as a mystery. The sheriff has come into town to find out why all these people are missing. And the first one to go missing is Ted Salas. He's man thing. We eventually learn, but we don't see that. We we have no connection to that. It is like it could have been anyone. I mean, I thought it was supposed to be Renee. Like that was where they were obviously leading them. Is that the sheriff's office described Renee as a shapeshifter and a local troublemaker, and that he's the one that lives in the swamp. And so, how could it not be Renee, right? Like, there's a magical Indian in the swamp that's causing problems for the oil company. That's got to be Man Thing, right? 
Well, my thing, I mean, this was a bad mystery, and you, they try to sell it as a mystery. I already saw the monster at the beginning. I, I'm pretty sure it's the monster killing people. I, I don't know why you got to drag it out this long. I mean, oh, but but didn't you assume that like they turned into the monster? I thought for sure we'd get a transformation. Like it was a dude, and then I don't know, he like you know eats a twig and turns into a man thing. <laughs> It, See, it, I knew enough about the comics to know Man-Thing is stuck as Man-Thing. So I oh. didn't expect a transformation. But again, I thought the monster at the beginning was the bad guy and that we'd see Man-Thing fighting the bad guy. Yeah, I guess they just didn't develop any of the characters where I cared if it was Renee or Ted I, or, or the sheriff. I just didn't care who it was. I knew there was a monster. They didn't make uh, make it so I, I was invested in anyone here where, ooh, I hope it's Renee who's the Man-Thing and getting revenge on that awful white man. I mean, I I just didn't care. It was a bad mystery. But in order to care, I would argue you'd want to see that. You'd want to see in flashback or in real time the murder of Ted Salas and how he got turned into Man-Thing. It's an origin movie. We've never made another of these. How can they not show this, how this happened? How can they say uh, a voiceover narration and something bubbling in a swamp is enough for the audience to go on? And I think the reason is, is because it's the bad guy and it sh that should be enough for this. But I completely agree. We all agree this movie stinks, right? Yeah. Yes. It, it's uh, like, heaven. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right. Now, since we all agree on this, you can feel really sad for me because I had to write the goddamn plot summary. I'm watching this movie and about 40 minutes in, so I, I, a little under halfway. I'm, I'm realizing I'm not following any of this. There's names being thrown about. There's the original sheriff who's gone missing. There's Ted Salas. There's Renee LaRoque. We see a bald guy who they say Renee to, but it's the sheriff calling him Renee. He doesn't look like an Indian to me. So <laughs> I don't know if it's Renee. I'm, I'm so confused. I stopped the movie and I started over. <laughs> and I sit through the first 40 minutes again to see if I missed something. And I um. didn't. I no, didn't, didn't miss a thing. I just subjected myself to an extra 40 minutes of this man thing. Yeah. Well, you know, the part of the problem is some people call him Renee and some people call him Rennie. <laughs> I noticed that. They kept saying his name different. I'm like, Rennie. It was Renee. Rennie. Yeah. yeah. It's the Australian inflection coming in. I'm telling you. Yeah. There's times where I'm like, is that a Southern accent or like a British accent? What, what's going on <laughs> with their accents in this film? It's because no one in this is American. So we get the opening scene with the hippies protesting against the oil company and are they hippies or indians <laughs> well i guarantee you no matter how not indian some of these names are like renee laroque and ted salas there is nothing about rachel taylor that looks native american to me <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say i am so disappointed that the blonde school teacher didn't end up being the man thing like that would have been the, <laughs> the surprise plot twist to end them all if like she you know if like the the sheriff leaned in for a kiss and pulled back like a leaf or something that would have been awesome i would have enjoyed that it could have saved the movie <laughs> Not really. You, thought, you were looking for a man thing. You weren't looking for a she-man thing. Oh, God, that's the sequel, woman thing. Woman, there we go. And there's just a little bit too much of this police drama because we've got him and the school teacher protester. Then the very next day, he's going up against a couple of rubes in the restaurant scene that you were talking about, Stuart. And these are some greasy, ugly stereotypes their brother characters yeah they what what are their names it's like Thibodeau. wayne and rodney 
Yeah. This film isn't just demeaning to Indians. It's demeaning to pretty much everyone. Yes. Human life, man or thing. <laughs> Plant life, too. I think. Yes. I agree. <laughs> My vegetable garden is, is furious. <laughs> and third, there's sabotage going on at the plant. Yes. And fourth, there's all these corpses showing up. There's too much going on right here at this point with characters who are not memorable, not good actors. And just it, it's it's all becoming very muddled because the whole movie is Kyle Williams, the sheriff, getting called from place to place. And he's been on the job for like two days and he's already supposed to arrest like half the town. Uh, let's start with Kyle. You're right. There are a lot of ways to go with this. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot that wrong. We need to like our main character. And if our main character is not man thing, and I was surprised that it wasn't. But if it's not. Then I wouldn't like the guy that's trying to work or find man thing or stop man thing or whatever he's supposed to do. This guy's a blank. He's too young for the part and they know that. So they have everyone commenting on the fact that he's young and he's green and that he shouldn't be in this job. Why is he in this job? Did he just like find it on Craigslist? Like how did he get to be the sheriff never having been set foot in a swamp before? I got the impression Schist intentionally hired him because he was young and green and Schist thought he could be easily controlled. How did the head of an oil company hire the police department, Sheriff? Because and oil companies are evil. Did you notice how their insignia was almost like a swastika? I mean, <laughs> oh, no, yes. Strokes. I mean, and evil oil companies are evil. So that's how he knew. No, I got I got that. He's also on the county board. He said he is the county. He can hire and fire the sheriff. By, because of all the money he brings in, he has a politician's job, but he didn't have direct law enforcement, and he wanted a sheriff under his thumb. It's, it's actually in the movie, in, in the first half, which I saw twice. No. Well, it, I mean, it, I'm not going to challenge you. I I believe Unless it. you'd like to watch it again. No, no. Quite, <laughs> quite all right with that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's broad strokes. And, and all you got to say is oil company. I mean, after the summer we had last year with BP. And the summer I, we're about to have. Yeah, I, I think people can understand that the oil companies can be manipulative bastards. And we don't need to name a character fascist or schist, which is where the name comes. I'm like, I kept thinking they were saying shit. I'm like, that's what I thought. I thought that was the point of the name. I was like, that bad beer? What is this? (laughs) But no, they're they're making a, a, a pun, a play on words. I don't know what you call it. They're shortening fascist and giving them Nazi insignias and calling them the bad guy. So that's the bad guy. Man thing's taking them on. Man thing must be the the hero or at least the anti-hero. And this sheriff is the guy that's going to find all about it and partner up with man thing, right? That's where it's going, right? Cuz man thing's part of the environment. He's a plant. He's we want to like that, right? And, we- and he's really, I mean, even in this movie I think they're wanting him to be a bit of an anti-hero because he is avenging the Indians and taking down big oil. But yet he's also killing nubile young people. (laughs) Yeah, he killed Pete. Pete didn't do anything wrong. And Frazier, Deputy Frazier. Yeah, another innocent. In fact, I, I, I got the sense that man thing wasn't ever a man. It was just uh, an indiscriminate killer. There's not even a line. Pete is like, it was one of my favorite exchanges in the movie. Pete says, it has chosen who will die. And the sheriff's like, oh, who's going to die, Pete? Everyone. 
<laughs> that's not really a selection process, really. That's pretty indiscriminate. I mean, that's not that's a chosen anything. It's going to just, I mean, that, that's like saying a wild tiger has chosen who it's going to kill. It's going to kill whatever gets in its way. And why did it wait? Why did man thing wait so long to, to decide to start killing everyone? I mean, it seems totally arbitrary that all of a sudden with this new sheriff in town, man things decided to go totally evil and start killing everyone indiscriminately. Like, why could that have happened three years ago or right when he was created? Why didn't he destroy the oil well right when well, Man-Thing came out of been? the swamp? What, uh, what was your impression about how long well, they had? Take- they had tons of missing bodies from the old sheriff when he goes into the old sheriff's office. He has all right, that. Right. There's 30 on. people at least that have gone missing, but that could have all happened in a week, right? I mean, it could have. I took I, it as I a guess. couple of months. I mean, they built the oil wells and if you take that Salas was killed, although obviously the oil well was there when he rose because we saw it. I got the impression that that was like the first oil well there, and then it all built around that. I mean, that's what I thought from the beginning of the film. So I thought it had been a few years for schist oil to kind of grow in the area. Well, the other thing is, though, I don't think he that Man-Thing really stepped up his game. Man-Thing's not out on the hunt for whatever reason. You have to wander into the swamp and find Man-Thing, and then he'll kill you. He, he's, he never goes into the city. He's, he's stuck in dark water. If, he does if, go if, to the oil refinery once. He kind of has that part where he blows through the, the doorway and knocks the guy against the wall. Was that him or was that Rennie? I guess that was Man-Thing, wasn't it? It yeah, because he had the tree cut growing out of him when they yeah. died. Right. Yeah. So, no. uh, wait, that's a major plot hole then, because how did Man Thing get there and why did he? He's a plant. He could, wherever there's plants, he could go. I don't know. Wherever there's a plant, Man Thing will be there. <laughs> what, what I don't get wherever is. Wherever there's injustice. <laughs> what I don't get is they made, they named that character, that evil oil character, Steve Gerber. Like the person they're going to give a nod to who he did the most amazing run on Man Thing, they're going to make him the evil oil guy that they murder. So, yeah, I don't understand necessarily Man-Thing's motivation for stepping up the game now or why he goes after who he goes after. It is it is indiscriminate, and it, it makes the movie less mysterious in that way. But, is again, is this supposed to be a mystery or a horror film? Or Well, I know at this point, by the time that Steve Gerber, the security guard smoking at the oil refinery, has been killed, that Man-Thing is not a hero. We might hopefully grow to like what he's doing or at least understand them but i know that he isn't a good guy i know that when he shows up bad things happen so i think i'm closer to thinking of him as a freddy krueger or a jason Voorhees, as a slasher i mean he's he's going to get you i still feel like it was an incredibly bad choice never to see the man underneath the moss Agreed. They kept mentioning Salas's name, and we never get to see him, and that that that's a mistake. It is a horrible mistake. And if you didn't want to do a flashback, if you didn't want to pay an actor, you could still reference it by having people that knew Salas then talk about him. I mean, here's an here's an obvious cliche. Here's an obvious thing that they could have done that wouldn't have expended any brain power to do. His old girlfriend is still talking about him. She's, you know, knitting wigwams and praying to dream catchers and thinking about how much she misses him. And he's going around killing indiscriminately. And then he comes on her and he has a moment of reflection where he remembers how he used to love her and he cocks his head and he goes, and then he, he runs back into the swamp because he knows that he has gone too far and he has become this horrible thing. I mean, that's a cliche, right? I mean, that, how could they not have that scene? How could they not have a scene in which Man-Thing is reminded of his humanity? 
How could they not do that? Did they make this up as they went along? <laughs> Is there a script writer? I had to look. And the only thing I saw that this writer had actually written before was two movies I haven't seen, but you guys have. Lost Boys 2 and 3. Oh, oh are you serious? I'm totally serious. It's the guy I chased at Comic-Con? Yeah, yeah. Hans <laughs> Rodinoff rode this off as well. <laughs> Because you know that story, right, Stuart? I chased him down the hallway at Comic-Con because I wanted to demand an explanation for seeing for what I had just seen, which was Lost Boys 3. <laughs> and I felt the writer would have that answer. Well. Security protected him from me. Yeah, well. If I'd known that he did this, he would have had more to atone for. <laughs> he might have needed a flak jacket. Well, how is it that he and Renee aren't working together and he's like Renee's attack dog or something? You, you don't know? need Renee. Let me just make this real abundantly painfully clear. If Man-Thing is hurting the refinery, you don't need to have another character that's also hurting the refinery. There can only be one vigilante. You can't have two and they both live in the swamp and they don't know about what each other is doing. That is foolishness. But doesn't it make sense to have Man-Thing as your Darth Vader and Renee as your Emperor? Man-Thing the mindless attack dog and Renee the one planning it all? If they were actually in cahoots, that would make sense. But Renee actually worked with the oil refinery. I mean, that's what we eventually... Yeah, initially he did, yes. Yeah, he was the one that sold out the land. Ted Salas, who becomes Man-Thing, was the one that stood in the way and got shot. Yeah. And got them so working together. But to a tone, I mean, he then could have seen what he did. And and you know what I would have said if I was Man-Thing? Eat twig. Die. <laughs> yeah, and Renee is the one Man-Thing doesn't kill. Yeah, Renee's living in dark water all this time. He's shot by the sheriff. It's the most puzzling death of the whole movie. Is the good guy, the, ostensibly the good sheriff that we're supposed to like and is going to bring order to this town, shoots the one man that's trying to stop the oil company. <laughs> confusion. All around confusion. When the sheriff meets Rennie, Rennie, Rennie for the first time in the swamp, he hops in his car and then the old sheriff's torso is flung onto the roof. Who flung the torso? Did Rennie throw the torso up there? I, I watched this twice, and I, I I don't know. Well, again, there is a real confusion about who is doing what crimes. We think Man-Thing is the one that is attacking Schist, but Rennie, Rene, is, is doing it as well. I don't. I don't know who did it. All I can tell you is I don't know how you get hired for a job when the person that's in the job you're taking hasn't even been found dead yet. I mean, can you imagine? He's, he went missing and they, they rehire. Uh, can you imagine, Arnie? You, 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 you get abducted, you disappear for a month and you come back and someone is already in your job. Well, if I go missing for a month, yes, that's exactly what would happen. In fact, it's a policy at just about every company I've worked. If you're a no-call, no-show for five days, you're replaced. Granted, but if you were in the middle of an epidemic of kidnappings or disappearances, they might be a little bit more lenient. I'm just saying. You still got to fill somebody and have them do the job. Maybe I'm sounding too much like the man, but you can't just leave a position vacant. Which is where I would think this deputy steps in. Another completely useless character. Someone that you know, why couldn't the story revolve around him? Why did they have to have a new sheriff? Why couldn't it just be Frazier? One thing that could have gotten me over the hump with all of this bad writing, and I could have written this as the cheesy, awful B-movie, midnight movie that it was meant to be, 
as if this movie had nice production values. Oh, God. When we talked about Predator, one thing that really stuck with me and why it holds up as a movie is that they really went out there and they really shot in the jungle. And you can feel it. It's tactile. It's got a, a, a vibrancy that you can't fake. You can't make that on a set. It, it's real. And this movie, if they had actually gone to Louisiana or Alabama or any backwater establishment, Florida, I don't care where you go, but if they had shot on location, it would have helped so much with me being able to get into the creepy vibe that they're trying to go with. You know, plot poles be damned. I understand that's not going to work, but at least give me something visceral. This movie, was it entirely shot in a bathtub with one light? Because <laughs> it looked like, I mean, they don't even have swamps in Australia. So why they chose to shoot on location in Australia, why the Aussies thought they could tell this story, I'll never understand. But the set they have is phony baloney and just ruins everything. What little ambition they had with the script is squandered by these production values. I don't know if you guys have ever been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, but there were times at the beginning of that ride, you're in the old Louisiana swamp and there's the guy rocking on the porch. Like there were scenes that where I'm like, they just filmed this while they were on the ride. Like yeah. it's that bad. No, it, it definitely it has the automaton quality of a theme park attraction. Absolutely. I, I don't care about necessarily spending more money on the sets, but for a movie entitled Man Thing, I think they should have spent a little bit more money on the man thing. We go through most of the movie without ever seeing him, and when we finally get to see him, I was having bad flashbacks to Pumpkinhead 2 Bloodwings, where, for those who don't know that movie, they couldn't afford the suit at all, and so they took close-up shots of the Pumpkinhead from Part 1 and just kept looping them during the attacks of Part 2, and then would, like, have a fake hand that they'd wave at the victims. I would have been fine if they had just <laughs> taken snapshots of the character from Swamp thing and edited in here okay it would have worked that's kind of how it felt like they did is they would use pov shots with a terrible red filter to avoid showing us him when we'd see him 99 percent of the time it's an extreme close-up of the face so you can't see how bad the suit is yeah he had those red are there gnats around his eyes <laughs> or is that part of him there's this like flittering around his red eyes i couldn't figure out what was going on I took it as the energy from the swamp. Okay. It was the spirit of the swamp, Arnie. Oh, yes. Remember, these are Indians, so. (laughs) He's got spirit. Yes, he do. Here's the thing that confused me. And this, you know, we we may get into this subject more with some of the more popular Marvel series. But (laughs) I'm not one of those people that, that, you know, I feel a movie is a movie. And it could be different than the comic book or if it's an adaptation of a novel or whatever. I, you know, there's those changes you have to make for the medium. Organic web shooters or mechanical web shooters. I don't really care. I'm not going to, you know, I don't, that's not going to bother me. But when you take Man-Thing, and it, of course this is only going to bother the comic book people, but he doesn't even look like the character in the comic, which was the biggest problem for me. He's supposed to have this like weird trunk phallic type nose that comes down his face it, it it didn't even look he looked more like swamp thing than man thing in the comic never mind that i had to wait 90 minutes to almost actually see a full body shot of this character 
who's the title character. But did they just buy the name so they could try to cash in on the Marvel thing? Because this isn't a man thing. This is you would something think they made that up. this was a movie that they made and then got the fell into the rights of man thing and just stuck it on there. I mean, there are <laughs> those cases where like we made an entirely different movie and all of a sudden, oh, we got the rights to the howling. Suddenly our werewolves are, you know, part of this series. Uh, but you're telling me this man thing looks nothing like the man thing in the comic at all. Besides the red eyes, no. The tendrils on the back and everything, completely different. Again, all I know really is the art, but totally different. This thing was reminding me of, like, something either out of Beetlejuice or Men in Black, the way he was using those back tendrils and they were snaking all around. Kind of reminded me a little of Dark Overlord, to be honest. I'm going to be, oh, Arnie, please. But then again, everything reminds me of the Dark Overlord. Yeah, the Rorschach test. (laughs) How does this relate to Howard the Duck? Um, You know, I'm actually going to come close to giving this a compliment. I kind of like the the design of where they were going with this in that it sort of reminded me of Cthulhu. If you guys know any, like, you know, HP Lovecraft kind of characters. It's kind of got an old ones, Cthulhu, lots of tentacles, tendrils in the face. Maybe a little bit like what they had with one of those Pirates of the Caribbean octopus monster things, too. I mean, in general, I kind of liked where they were going with it, but it's clearly bad CGI. It's clearly uh, barely in the movie and, uh, and underlit, so I can't say I got my rocks off when I finally saw Man-Thing, but I'm not going to dog on the creature design, or at least that's one of the better parts of the movie for me. I I think it looked really bad in the few shots we got of it, and I think they knew it, and that's why we got so few shots, and when we got them, they were so underlit. This whole movie was underlit. Every scene at night, I could barely, you know, you guys talked about AVP Requiem and about how dark that was, and this, I felt the same way watching this. There's times it's just silhouettes. I had no idea what was going on. That did happen quite a bit. Yeah, as they rode boats for 20 minutes. Uh, You don't know whether it's covering up their own cheapness or whether it's just incompetence. I don't know whether it was a strategy to hide or just a bad choice. And in addition to looking different, in the comics, from what I've read, the Man-Thing does not have the power to control vegetation. No, that's a Swamp Thing thing. (laughs) Swamp Thing could do that, but not (laughs) Man-Thing. He... (laughs) <laughs> he feeds on your fear. I mean, that's they don't even play up to what his power is in this. It's just it's baffling. Is it like the scarecrow from Batman? Is that what not, it is? Not that he creates fear, but he feeds off your fear and he could destroy you with it. That's the one thing I expected is that I wanted a motivation for who he killed and why he killed him. And what I expected to come of it, although if I'd analyzed the opening titty shot a little bit more, I would have known the opposite. But I thought it was those who reacted to him with fear will be killed. And when Pete is out in the wilderness and runs across Man-Thing, I'm like, ah, simple Pete is going to be fine because he he's not afraid of the Man-Thing. Wait, they just killed Pete. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the Man-Thing character. Uh, it does sound like he's a little bit like Freddy Krueger, like, you know, Miss Langenkamp saying, I don't believe in you anymore, and poof, he's gone. But is it like that? Like, if, if you show ambivalence, then he can't hurt you? Not really. I mean, keep in mind, he's a good guy. (laughs) He's protecting the Nexus. He's the the hero. And if you have fear, it drives him on. But he's also a bit of a force of nature because he's not like, I will protect the Nexus. It's just instinct. You know, he has no conscious thoughts. He's more of an empath than anything. Hmm. Again, I've read two issues, so I don't want to come off like an expert. But (laughs) that's what I got out of my two issues. 
So we get to the end, and he's, he pumps oil with his tentacles into Schist, which was actually a pretty cool effect. I, I don't know how tentacles can be used to siphon, but it was a cool effect nonetheless. Uh, you the know, roots, take... roots suck up water. And... Oh, they're roots. I, I thought they were vines. Well, vi- I mean, this vine's the same thing. It's, it's so water. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And vitamins can travel up a tree. I mean, it's a delivery yeah. system for food. I never thought of it that way. Okay, I'm educated. <laughs> I mean, I have been educated by you guys, not like that's why he asked me to be on here because I'm a botanist. <laughs> you know, I, I liked that kill. This is the thing: if they're going to turn this into a slasher film, that's fine. But let's see some good kills. You know, you you get that opening. You know, I, I like over the top stuff in movies. So when you have this this naked lady covered in blood, like I I kind of like that. Not just because she's naked, but I like how over the top that is. You have the oil executive being used as an oil pump. I like that. You know, if you're gonna make this a slasher film, make it a damn good slasher film where the kills are at least interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, I could enjoy it at least on that level. Then. Yeah, it's not gratuitous. These kills, they, there's no joy in the taking of life. It is just, it's a very routine, underlit, uh, unsensationalized, dull event, and it happens again and again. There's so many characters here. I mean, the Scotsman that had no Scottish accent. That was, <laughs> that, that tried I had to take no idea he's a Scotsman. Well, no, they make reference that he came from Scotland, and I'm like, okay, he neither has a Scottish accent nor an American accent or a Louisiana accent. I, I do not. <laughs> know what these australians think scotland is like but i know that they wanted to bring in the whole loch ness monster and he's there to photograph the beast because it's like nessie well that's kind of a fun idea but why kill him why does anyone even remember how he died schist actually shoots him by accident he schist is out in the swamp and his flash the scotsman's flash goes off and schist shoots over in that direction and hits him so he doesn't even get killed by man thing Okay. I get confused about who was dying how because it was very dark. It was hard to tell. It was very dark most of the time. And that that came during the end where there were just a lot of deaths one right after the other. And so I was a little shocked, too. But I got to say, the Scotsman gave me the only good line of the entire movie. And that's when he's chasing after Manthing and he yells, I got the cover of Life magazine, man. And the sheriff yells back, Life magazine went out of business, you fucking idiot. I love that line. The rest of the movie is shit, but I'll take that line. I'll take what I can get. It was as close to clever as, as the movie was going to produce. So a final question about the end. The dynamite goes off and Renee manages to blow up what I can only see as one pump out of this whole refinery operation of schist. You, in your plot summary, say, said that Man-Thing is unharmed and then melts away. I thought he kind of got blown up. But it was like a Wiley e. Coyote effect, you know. He ran across the canyon, then looked down, and then he fell. I thought like the creature suddenly realized he had been blown to bits and then fell apart. No, no, I, I definitely watched this very closely because I thought he would be get blown up. And I'm also thinking, you know, the whole thing about dark water is the mangrove trees grow so close together. The mangrove trees are burning at the end of this. <laughs> like the sun's going to shine right the hell in mm. because those trees. They won't blew be calling off. it dark water anymore. No, they'll be calling it fire water. Oh wait, that's something else for them. But 
<laughs> but he's standing there, and actually, it looks like he he got polished because he's bright green now. Maybe it's because the sun's shining in. But he's just standing there completely unharmed. And that's the oh shit moment because if an explosion can't stop Man Thing, nothing can. So and nothing can stop Man Thing. He's a force of nature, but he did his what he set out to do, which was kill everything in sight, and now can. Well, what I got was that was the only drill in dark water, and he was protecting dark water, the sacred land. Drill anywhere ah, else, but stay the hell out of dark water. Okay. So All with right. that with that blown up, he realized his mission was done. He had reaped enough vengeance. So really, Man-Thing is limited to that space. Yeah, and that's why I was wondering how he made it to the main plant. Oh. How did he kill so many people? That many people go into dark water? Well, that's the whole his... teen party at the beginning, that's where you go to score. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's where you go to get your man thing wet. I had no idea what was going on with the end of this film. It looks like he dries up and dies and then comes back, and I just didn't care at this point. It was no. like, no. we got a few extra bucks for our special effects, let's do something. And basically, I think they played it in reverse to show his formation. All right. So if this didn't work for us, could this character be rebooted? Would they reboot this? You said last time, Jacob, that Howard the Duck will definitely be back. Are we going to be subjected to another man thing? Look, if they've done three Punisher movies, uh, all bets are off. (laughs) I could see them returning to this only because I know from all the stuff I read, that they're trying to pump out anything they can. Cloak and Dagger. They're trying to put the Hulk on television. They're making a Black Panther movie now. They're whores. They'll do anything. They don't care. Ang Lee's Hulk didn't do well. Three years later, let's reboot it, or however long it was. It was a real short time. They are whores. Marvel would make it. Would any studio touch it, or would they burn at the Man-Thing's touch? That is the question. I think Man-Thing could work. You CGI the Man-Thing, you spend a little bit of money, and you go to the whole nexus of realities, try to stay more true to the comic. The comic has a fan base. It has a very large fan base. I, I don't know why, but it does. And I think if you played to that kind of sensibility and spent maybe... 70 million instead of 7 million, you might recoup. You might get your 100 million out of it. I don't know if that's a big enough ROI, but it could work if somebody wanted to take the risk and not play it as Man Thing's a psycho killer. All I know is please shoot it on location in America. I thought you were just going to say please shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Not like film it, but shoot it like a dog. I I think they could tell an interesting psychological tale, you know, playing up the whole fear thing. Tell some weird psychedelic story with the nexus of reality and this thing that feeds off, you know, your negative emotions. Yeah, I think there's a good story there. There, I think there's a good story in just about anything, but so often uh, that's not the route people choose to go. All I can say is we're two for two in this Marvel series. Uh, They they not only have convinced me that I want to see more, I would never pick up a Man-Thing comic because of this (laughs) movie. I would never pick up a Howard the Duck comic because of that movie. Comic because of that movie. Well, I guess that leaves Stuart, Jacob. Why don't you recommend Man Thing? <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it's a teaching moment. We finally, <laughs> you know, we spend so much time hashing about well, why did th- th- this character? And you know, we we nitpick and we find problems, and some of them are large and some of them are small. But here's a movie that's all problem. 
and no good. I mean, it's complete incompetence incarnate. You know, I just feel like it teaches me that when someone doesn't make any effort, all hope is lost. There's there's just nothing here. We we've somehow managed to make a show out of this. But to me, it is from st- beginning to end. Every scene demonstrates why you should not like the movie. <laughs> You know, Stuart, I thought it was funny that you mentioned that this was done by the the same guy that did Lost Boys 2 and 3, because before I even knew that, I was going to say Man-Thing made Lost Boys 3 look like Lost Boys, or Man-Thing <laughs> makes Howard the Duck look like yeah, maybe Batman Begins, or at least Tim Burton's 89 Batman. Uh, it's just not a good movie. There's no compelling story, no compelling characters. If I went and saw Spider-Man and I didn't see Spider-Man in the costume until the last five minutes of the film, I would be furious. There's just this movie has no direction. It doesn't know what it wants to do. Uh, You know, titties in the first five minutes of a movie does not a good film or even passable film make. Uh, It's do we have to say not recommended? Because I I think it's pretty obvious. Perhaps the worst film now playing has done. Good closing question. Arnie, are you ready to apologize to Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio for (laughs) The Aviator? Yes, I am. I am. This is truly, you know. I'm so glad because if you were going to insist that The Aviator was worse than this, I just don't know if I could hang. Here's the difference. Both films bored me utterly, but The Aviator was made competently and acted well and had characters that I could at least recognize scene to scene. (laughs) This film is truly incompetent. And many times I will let the listeners in a little behind the scenes. Uh, When we're discussing what series to do, a lot of it becomes where does it go? You know, there's so many series that'll have a strong first installment and then really just sink to direct to video shit. And with the exception of the Lost Boys films, we've never even done direct to video. We've always stuck to theatrical releases. Lost Boys was a special case because, well, the quarries. So this is kind of the reason why we don't want to do this. This was painful to watch. I read on IMDb that during a test screening for this film, half the audience walked out. I envy them. I wish that I had the option for now playing to just go, I turned it off. No recommend. Goodbye. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised only half the audience left. <laughs> the other half hoped for more fake titties. <laughs> <laughs> or either that or Roots had popped out and pulled them into their chairs. <laughs> This has too few kills to be effective horror. It's too boring to be an effective mystery. It's There's too little man-thing and too unfaithful to the comics to really be a comic book movie. This is a piece of genre film, and I'm not even sure which genre. It's just trash that was rightly shat onto DVD and should be left forgotten and sunk in a swamp. I, I'm going to steal Sam Jackson's line from A Time to Kill. No, I don't recommend it, and I think it should rot in hell! (laughs) Worst movie we have burned with our touch. But there's one last hope for our Marvel Misfits series. Oh, (laughs) I'm I'm bubbling with anticipation. Oh, don't worry, Stuart. This movie is kick-ass. Oh, wait a minute. I've seen this movie. I know know this movie. That's a Marvel movie? 
it is a Marvel imprint. There was some discussion whether or not to include it. Uh, I made a judge's ruling. We are going to include it, and he is going to be one of the Marvel misfits. Where he, whereas he may not be quite the Marvel misstep that Howard the Duck and Man Thing <laughs> were. Yes, a good clarification. Yes, indeed. He is kind of an odd creature for Marvel because his comic is under one of the imprints. Next episode, we'll describe what all that means. Basically, he's not quite in the Marvel Universe, and he's a one-off. So we will be concluding our Marvel Misfits with Kick-Ass. So there is hope. There's a light at the end of the swamp. I'm looking forward to it. I I know this much. It will be a big step forward from what we've been starting it. It, it does star Nicolas Cage, and you know how much we loved him in Next from the Philip K. Dick retrospective. <laughs> Hopefully we'll like him equally enough when we get to Ghost Rider. Oh, I forgot <gasps> about that. Is that in Marvel? Yes. yes it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Alrighty. So if you enjoyed this podcast, go see what other films have burned at our touch in our archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com. We've ripped holes in The Lost Boys, The X-Files, Black Christmas, as well as films we've liked, like some of the Star Trek films, some Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio films, House of a Thousand Corpses, Terminator. You can find all that and many, many more in our archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, as well as some one-off reviews for Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I really wanted to stick my tree trunk into that one. I loved it so much. (laughs) The Social Network, I Know Who Killed Me, Inception. All of this is at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You can also find links to our forums where you can discuss our podcast with other listeners and recommend movies for us to review. And find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages where we post short reviews of films that we see day to day. All of this is at NowPlayingPodcast.com, as is the little donate button that you can burn with your touch by clicking the mouse and donating to help keep Now Playing and pay for bandwidth costs and help us be able to afford these expensive 3D movies that we're going to have to review this summer. So again, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me in Dark Water. I'm getting in my towel, not from Howard, <laughs> wiping myself off and moving forward. And we'll be back next week with Kick-Ass. Talk to you then. It's closing time! Thank you for listening to Now Playing's Marvel Misfits Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. You should have kept your Yankee nose out of this, boy! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we continue looking at our Marvel Misfits, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, and Kick-Ass. Anyone actually read comics? You can find other now playing retrospective series such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more at our website. Go to NowPlayingPodcast.com and click the archives link to find those series, as well as individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, child, you always knock me for a loop. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. There's no idea as to who is behind the broadcast of this show, but we could see widespread server crashes. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. How do I get a hold of you? You just contact the mayor's office. He has a special signal that shines in the sky. It's in the shape of a giant cock. 
Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I feel much better. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We appreciate your cooperation. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Any questions? Yeah. Where are my pants? Now Playing's Marvel comic book Misfits series is edited by Arnie. I'm way over my head. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises, Universal Pictures, Lionsgate Films, or Artisan Entertainment. The Marvel characters and all of the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. They get the point, Denning! Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Show's over, motherfuckers. Schist. He he's worked quite a bit in. Well, he was in Attack of the Clones. What did he play? I have no goddamn clue. <laughs> <laughs> but I want his autograph. <laughs> I now suddenly have to care about this individual. I may already have his autograph. Is the worst part. <laughs> Too bad you didn't have him sign your copy of Man Thing. <laughs> Who says he didn't sign my mantha? <laughs> I'm a star fucker. Let's see. His name's Jack Thompson. Attack of the Clones. Oh, my God. He was Cleeg Lars. Okay, that's what I thought. He did look familiar. I do not have his autograph. This guy's too big for the uh, autograph circuit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, go see Feed and you'll see him really big. Is every single person in here an Aussie? I think they are. I don't know about Rachel Taylor. That's the uh, chick? No, yeah, she was uh, Miss Teen Tasmania. So, yep, they're all Aussies. <laughs> Miss Teen Tasmania? <laughs> That's a tiny, tiny island. I'm, I now I don't, know whether to, I, I don't know whether to make a joke about her and my man thing or her and my devil. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining her growling and spinning around and being given a tiara and baton. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I it... and when we finally get to see him, I was having bad flashbacks to Pumpkinhead 2 Bloodwings, where uh, for those who don't know that movie, they couldn't... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> for the fa- small segment of people that don't know Pumpkinhead 2 Bloodwings. <laughs> well, it is our, like our audience. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're wait, they're demanding the Pumpkinhead four part retrospective series. I didn't know they made four. Yeah, right. two. I like I just said Pumpkinhead three and four were sci fi films. Ugh.